Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Good morning, beloved. How are you? I am live and we're video today. Blessed be God forever for his goodness to us. I came across yesterday on Fox News of all places a very wonderful article, and I thought we'd take a look at it today and take a a day break from the Catechism Explained. It's an article written by dear Raymond Arroyo, of uh, EWTN's The World Over, and it's titled, um, let's just get back to the title, Why Thomas Edison Should Be Considered the Patron Saint of Homeschooling. Why Thomas Edison Should Be Considered the Patron Saint of Homeschooling. This is really amazing, and I'm going to read it to you. He says, though Thomas Alva Edison's creations and ingenuity are legendary, most do not realize that Edison almost was not the world's greatest inventor. A curious and reckless child, young Edison wanted to know the inner workings of the world around him and was not afraid to dive into the canal behind his house or into a grain elevator to find answers. At five, his zeal to understand fire ended with the family barn in ashes and a whipping from his dad. His at times dangerous curiosity and endless questions drove his father to distraction, who wrote the boy off as a dunce. But his mother saw something else in her owl. <clears throat> While creating my new uh, turnabout tales, that's quote, this is a uh, Raymond Arroyo's book series, while creating my new turnabout tales, picture book series for Zonder Kids slash Harper Collins, I spent a common thread I spied a common thread that ran through Edison's life and those of other historic figures. Each found themselves in a moment of crisis where a decision made not only where a decision made not only changed the course of their lives, but the course of history itself. I believe each of us has a turnabout tale, whether in our past or in the future. And I'm looking at a picture of Raymond Arroyo's book titled The Unexpected Light of Thomas Alva Edison. Um, He says, Edison's turnabout really began at age eight. Little Al was registered at the Reverend G.B. Engels Engels Schoolhouse in 1855. The rote lessons and memorization were likely boring to Al. He daydreamed through classes, and his biographers think he may have had ADHD. Edison said of this period, quote, the teachers did not sympathize with me, and my father thought I was stupid, end quote. His teacher thought he was stupid as well. One day, in front of Al, 
that's uh, Thomas Edison's middle name, Alva Al, the Reverend Engel complained that the boy was addled, addled, uh, A-D-D-L-E-D, and unable to be taught. Al ran home in tears. The next day, Mrs. Edison appeared at the school, upbraided the teacher, insisted that her son had more smarts than even the reverend, and that she would educate Al herself. Astoundingly, this marked the end of Edison's formal education and the beginning of the great inventor. Nancy Edison, his mother, was a teacher by trade and equipped her son with a combination of literary classics and science manuals that fed his passion. She encouraged Al's daring, hands, his daring hands-on experimentation. Young Edison absorbed the theory of the books he read while practically applying them, constructing his own telegraph to a neighbor's house and dabbling with chemicals in his home lab. Despite a few explosions in the basement and acid burns on her furniture, Mrs. Edison indulged Tom's pursuits. I don't know why Thomas Edison isn't the patron of the patron saint of homeschooling, Raymond Arroyo writes. He said late in life, quote, Thomas Edison said late in life, my mother was the making of me. She let me follow my bent. The good effects of her early training I could never lose. If it had not been for her appreciation and her faith in me at a critical time in my experience, I should very likely have never become an inventor. It was this line that I discovered, Raymond writes, accidentally, that led me to write, quote, the unexpected light of Thomas Alva Edison and to try to capture this neglected bit of history for our own time. Like a lot of children, Edison was underestimated and disparaged at a young age, being deaf from the age of 12. Listen to this. Being deaf from the age of 12, he was likely withdrawn. But where others would regard the loss of hearing a liability, Edison saw it as a blessing. Deafness probably drove me to reading, Edison said once. It also gave him time to think and ponder. How incredible it is that a man who had to bite down on a piece of wood to hear sounds in his laboratory created the phonograph, the telephone receiver, and the microphone. But it was the model of discovery and innovation that he learned from his mother that would mark the rest of his creative life. Edison confronted challenges with his head and his hands, surrounded by books, at his invention factory in Menlo Park, New Jersey, and later at the Edison Labs in West Orange, New Jersey. He would hurl himself across work tables to tinker and feel his way through the process of creation. Edison would fill thousands of notebooks with ideas for new inventions. By the end of his life, he would file more than 1,000 patents and transform the lives of millions around the globe. The alkaline battery, the light bulb, the motion picture camera, the tattoo pen, 
and the first electric car all sprang from the mind of a boy who was tossed out of school and told he was too dumb to be taught. At a moment when we are in danger of losing a sense of who we are, stories like Edison's must be preserved and spread. History reminds us of our past, but more importantly, lends us needed guidance as we move into the future. Before we give up on the next average student or even evict a child from the classroom, remember Thomas Edison and his mother. If it had not been for Nancy Edison, we might all still be in the dark. The incredible ingenuity and light of Edison, which has spanned more than a century, might never have reached us were it not for a devoted parent who saw promise in her son where others saw only problems. I hope this first turnabout tale, Raymond says, helps us all to see the possibility in every young life and to recognize the responsibility that we as adults have to nurture the light within them. I am so, I have goosebumps with this article. I've met so many children who are down and out, whose parents criticize them left and right, tell them they're stupid, they better learn a trade because they'll never go to college, um, you better go to work because you'll never go to school, you're never going to amount to anything. Um, that's from the devil. If you're a young child and your, your, your grades are poor, your parents have put you down, the school has put you down, um, uh, remember... Remember Thomas Alva Edison. You have a very unique brain and unique talents and unique passions. And what's been wrong for you is that you've been a round peg, which they're trying to fit in a square hole. Let your mother, let your parents, let a brilliant teacher, let a pastor, let someone come and find out who you really are and find out your passions and what you're made for and what interests you. And I tell you, you will soar. Thomas Aquinas, the doctor of the church, called the angelic doctor, uh, that uh, 13th century, that we, who wrote the Summa Theologica, and uh, we, we uh, form most of our theological books around his teaching. And he was called the dumb ox as a young boy, the dumb ox. He was never going to learn. Uh, the Prime Minister of England, Winston Churchill, uh, was thrown out of his alma mater, his high, high school, and told he'd never amount to anything. And then he went and became Prime Minister of England and one of the most accomplished men in the world. And he went back to the high school that he was thrown out of. And he said to them, young men, one speech he gave, never give up, never give up, never give up, never, 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 never give up. There's the music, dear ones, for our first break. And we'll begin to take your calls and emails early today when we come back from the break. Call in with anything on your heart, toll free, one 511 5483 or email at mother at We'll be right back.
this is Jim Havens, host of The Simple Truth. Join Father Stephen Imbarato and I, along with many more, in New York City for the Gift of Life Walk on Saturday, March 25th at 11 a.m. in downtown Manhattan's Foley Square. We invite everyone to come walk with us behind the Men's March banner in this great opportunity to stand up together for the least of these on the Feast of the Annunciation, which is also the Day of the Unborn Child. Men, we also have a special men's night the evening before the walk on Friday, March 24th. Meet us at 6.30 p.m. for an important presentation on authentic manhood and the pro-life movement in the old gym at the Basilica of St. Patrick's Old Cathedral in Manhattan. Make plans now to join us. We hope that we'll see you there. For more information, go to themensmarch.com. You can listen to any of our network-produced programs at your convenience, wherever you enjoy podcasts. Hear a powerful sermon you need to share with a loved one? Maybe there's a guest or teaching segment that deserves another listen. You can find all of our shows on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, our website, and the free iCatholic Radio app. Be uplifted in your faith. Listen today at thestationofthecross.com or on your favorite podcasting platform. Are you ready to take on the world of flesh and the devil with just the facts? This is Jesse Romero, host of Jesus 911, heard weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern. I'm joined each day by a variety of co-hosts like Ruben Navam, Paul Clay, Dan Schneider, and my amazing wife, Anita Romero. We tackle Catholic devotions, spiritual warfare, family life, saving America, and everything in between. Join us each weekday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific for Jesus 911. God bless you. Keep the faith. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. I'm thrilled to be with you. And before the break, I mentioned that I'll, we'll start taking your calls and your emails early today, toll-free, 1-877-511-5483, or email at mother at the station of the cross.com. Before we begin, I want to make a little announcement. Um, I'm so impressed with the Station of the Cross and all of you who support the Station of the Cross because you make it possible for me to be on the air and every blessed host that they have um, 24-7. They are fantastic, uncompromising, 100% Catholic uh, hearts, and I'm, I'm just so supportive of them and grateful for them. And they only have two main fundraisers a year, which is amazing. And so there's a spring fundraiser coming up, and it's not until May 1st, but I want to tell you about it now because some of you may want to donate ahead. Everything helps them whenever it comes in. And so um, I have a little quote here from St. Alphonsus Liguori, who said, those who pray will be saved. Those who do not pray will be lost. That's why we have chosen um, the whole Station of the Cross fundraising, Lord, Hear Our Prayers, as the theme for our upcoming Spring Appeal this first week of May. Through your prayers and generosity, we've been able to proclaim the truth of our holy Catholic faith with clarity 
and charity. You know those words by now, and I love them. Because that's exactly what the Station of the Cross does. Almsgiving, one of the three pillars of our Lenten practice, is a way for you to participate in this witness of truth and charity. Even through this, even though the Spring Appeal isn't here yet, I'd like to ask you to prayerfully consider making a donation to help us get the appeal off to a strong start. You can call one eight seven 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 eleven. 8500. You can visit the stationofthecross.com or use the donation page of your iCatholic Radio app. Thank you, beloved. May God bless you for your gift this holy season of Lent. I'm Mother Miriam of Mother Miriam Live. I think you recognize my Brooklyn voice by now. God bless you. We have an email from Miriam and Elizabeth who writes, um, Where do aborted babies, where do aborted babies' souls go? They were not formally baptized. The church does not tell us where they go. We do not know that. We do not know where anybody who's unbaptized go, goes. Um, God alone knows that. Um, St. Augustine said, we are bound by the sacraments. We cannot say that anyone who is not baptized goes to heaven. We can never say that. But again, St. Augustine says that we are bound by the sacraments, but God is not. We do not know that. Um, I recently read or told the story of a little baby who, no, no, um, I didn't tell you. It, it's the uh, mother of 10 children, and uh, she got pregnant, actually, with her 10th child. And the baby died at 18 weeks which is prior to a baby's life being viable on its own. But the placenta, I think it was, became exposed. And so they called in a priest. I think it was a priest, I'm not sure. But the baby was baptized uh, because the placenta was exposed. So God alone knows if it, what it is and, and what's sufficient. I, I think that would certainly be sufficient. But what about aborted babies? Because they're not baptized. And um, Miriam and Elizabeth say, how can we give them some sort of burial? We stand outside of the clinics and feel like it's the very least we can do is to give them an empty grave spot. It's next to impossible to get their precious remains. But how do you do it well? It would be a lot to ask a priest to come to a grave that is constantly being filled in a spiritual sense. Thanks and bless you, Miriam and Elizabeth. I would simply... Pray for those babies. Simply pray for those babies. Pray for their souls. We, we know that the God of the whole earth will do right. We cannot assume what he'll do because we're not told. We, we can't develop doctrines that the church has not given us. But we know that the God of the whole earth, who sent his son to die for us, will do what is right. So pray for their souls. And continue to pray for the abortionists and for the women who will have abortions. Um, if you can ever get the remains of a child, you can get a small coffin and have a, a, a Catholic burial for that baby. If you can get the remains, if the baby has been baptized, you can do that. Um, so, and you can bury the baby even if the baby has not been baptized. If you have the remains of a baby or even from a miscarriage, you can, um, you can get a little coffin. And some, some burial uh, sites have sections for aborted or stillborn babies. Um, 
and a priest can perform the funeral. Um, I, I can't tell you more than that because I don't know more than that. Um, we have an email from Sandina who says, Mother Miriam, I lost the man I was going to magic, or rather, I lost the man I was going to marry tragically eight months ago in a horrific accident. Oh my God, Sadina, that's awful. Um, he died in my arms and I saw him take his final breath on earth. A few months later, his mother turned into incoming traffic and people are telling me not to say that she killed herself, but she did a U-turn into head-on traffic. I was wondering if you could recommend a spiritual advisor for me and how I should proceed in general. I'm really struggling and need help. I would appreciate any recommendations or guidance in Christ, Sedina. Sedina, that's very wonderful, uh, very tragic. I'm so sorry to even say wonderful. Uh, I'm, the word wonderful comes from my mind in thinking about a wonderful God and, and to have faith in the God who loved us enough to put his son to death for us, to have that trust in him, is to know at the same time that nothing happens to us that God does not allow. Um, I'll tell you, in my younger years, I also was thinking of marrying a man who was killed in a plane crash, so I, I, I can sympathize something, something of the unbelievable shock. It took me three months to even believe it. I couldn't even believe it. It wasn't real. So I have a little bit of understanding for what you could be going through. As far as his mother goes, if she made a U-turn into oncoming traffic, um, she could have planned to commit suicide, uh, but she would have been harming other people as well, um, which is not good if she did that on purpose. She could have been very distracted because of her the loss of her son. We don't know what went on in our heart or mind, and we can never assume that. So do not assume it was suicide. Uh, we cannot know that. Only God can know that. And in either case, uh, absolutely pray for her. Um, let me just say, you said her mother turned to incoming traffic. Um, you didn't tell me she died with that. Um, that she killed herself. Oh, then she did die. Okay. Only God knows. Pray for her soul and certainly pray for the soul of the man that you were going to marry and entrust them to God. Entrust them both to God. God knows. Only God knows. Uh, to commit suicide is to commit murder and it's a grave, grave offense. But again, um, to be... A mortal sin, meaning death, separation from God. You have three factors. It must be grave, and committing suicide is absolutely grave. You must know it's grave and will separate you from God. And you must be in your right mind. In other words, not on drugs, not with a gun to your back, and maybe emotionally out of control. So if her emotional state was beyond what she was able to manage, then it would not be uh, mortal for her. So we need to leave that in the hands of an all-wise, all-loving God. Pray for your fiancé and pray for his mom. 
and for the entire family. And trust God that he allowed that to happen. I always think of Enoch in the Book of Wisdom, I think it's chapter 4, where God took him out of the world early, young, uh, in order to save him from the corruption of the world. So God may have given Enoch a very great grace by taking him out of the world before he had the chance to commit a mortal sin. I don't know. But God knows. God wishes everyone to come to him, to be in heaven. And so trust God that the accident uh, of your fiancé God allowed somehow, and God's wisdom is beyond anything we'll ever know, at least this side of heaven, and the same with his mom. Pray for them both. And there's nothing wrong with you getting a spiritual advisor. My goodness, of course not. How should you proceed that way? Get a holy priest. Could be your own priest of the parish or another priest. Find a good, holy priest. And I would not ask him to be your spiritual director right off, but make an appointment with him. Talk to him about all this. Talk to him about the grief of your heart and your fears and whatever it is you're going through and and see how his response is. Learn how your relationship would be with a priest before you ask him to enter in to a permanent spiritual direction relationship. Okay, all right. God bless you, Sadina, and we will pray for you as well. We have an email from Colleen who says, um, I have accepted a new position, Mother Miriam, I've accepted a new position with an insurance company as a claims adjuster for marine cargo. I am 63 years of age and I will have more responsibility than my last job. I will have to adjust to traveling to downtown Chicago two times a week and work from home the three other days. I am so afraid that I will not measure up at the company and make mistakes. I am afraid that I will ask too many questions and that I will not remember the answers to my questions. When I make notes, I am so afraid and stressed that my hand shakes. I end up scribbling my notes and I cannot read them after I get my questions answered. Can you please give me something to hold on to for encouragement? I have an adjuster license, but I'm still afraid all the time. I always pray for strength and trust, but I keep getting overrun by fear. Please pray for me. Love, Colleen. Two things I'm thinking of, Colleen. One, that God does not call the equipped. He equips the called. So if God has enabled you to get this job, you do have an adjuster license, You do have the intelligence. You do have the ability for it. They wouldn't have hired you otherwise. You didn't fool them. You didn't lie. Trust God that he has put you together with this company because you have what it takes. You don't have the confidence, but you have what it takes to be a good employee and do a good job. Trust God to equip you. Don't depend on your own understanding or your own skills. Trust God. And when we come back from the break, Colleen, I'll give you my other thought. Okay, and in the interim, anyone, you're welcome to call in with anything on your heart, toll-free 1-877-511-5483 or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. We'll be right back.
is Franciscan Media's Saint of the Day for March 24th. Today we celebrate Saint Catherine of Genoa. A deep conversion experience while in the confessional marked a new beginning for Catherine of Genoa, something she badly needed. Born into a noble family, Catherine was married at age 16 to Julian, who turned out to be self-centered and unfaithful. For a time, Catherine tried to numb her disappointment with selfish pleasure, but one day in confession, Catherine received a new sense of her sinfulness and how much God loved her. For the next 25 years, she immersed herself in good works as well as prayer and fasting. By reforming her own life, Catherine gave good example to Julian, who experienced his own conversion. Just as the pair were beginning to move in a new direction, they learned that Julian's spending sprees had ruined them financially. Husband and wife moved into a large hospital in Genoa, where they dedicated themselves to charity. Catherine focused on working as a nurse and administrator, heroically ministering to many during the deadly epidemic of 1493 that killed 80% of the city's population. Catherine died in 1510 and was canonized in 1737. There's more about the saints along with inspiration and Catholic resources at our website, saintoftheday.org. From Franciscan Media, this has been Saint of the Day. Uh, started drinking beer on Saturday nights, uh, sleeping in on Sunday mornings, missing Mass, and then it just became a pattern and continued. Without God, I don't know where I'd be right now. I feel like I'm whole again. I know the importance of the Eucharist. I know the importance of the sacraments that I didn't know at a young age. I follow God's will because my desire is to get to heaven. Our, our lives are rich and full by being members of the church. If you've been away from the Catholic Church, visit catholicscomehome.org. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. We are live, and this is our yet a full half hour together and you're welcome to call in dear ones with anything on your heart whatsoever uh, 1-877-511-5483 or email at mother at the station of the com. just before the break we read an email from colleen who's a 63 year old woman who just got a new position with an insurance company uh, as a claims adjuster for marine cargo and she has an adjuster's license, and it's a more responsible job than she had in the past. And she's going to be working two days in the company and three days at home. And she lives in fear that she's simply not going to make it, that she'll fail in her job. Um, there's, there's too many questions, won't remember the answers, and all of that. And just before the break, I mentioned the well-known saying that God does not call the equipped he equips the called. So if you lack fear, Paul says, the Apostle Paul, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When I am weak, I am strong. How does that make sense? When I'm weak in myself, depending on me, then I turn to God and then I'm strong. If you depend on yourself and your ability to figure everything out and do everything perfectly, you will fail. But don't do it. Trust God has given you that job, 
has allowed you to have it. The company assessed and hired you. They they didn't. Um, you didn't present a lie to them. They believe you have the qualifications for the job, and without meeting you, I do too. So just say no. You're there to be our Lord's witness to them in your life. And if, if we live in fear, then we're really denying God. We're saying, Lord, I'm afraid because it's all dependent on me. And you can do that. But then we leave God out of our lives and we hurt him. So no, say, Lord, I can't do this. I'm afraid, but I can do all things through you who strengthen me. So I would, I would do that. And, um, oh, there was something else I was thinking of. Uh, and I don't remember it now. Um, but maybe maybe I got both of them in that one, one answer. So rest. You know, when you have too much fear, Colleen, I'm going to make things worse for you right now. If you have too much fear, that's because of your pride. You're afraid you won't measure up. Don't worry about it. Nobody measures up. Go in there. You are a child of God. Be the witness. Be confident in his grace in your life and that he will help you and protect you. And don't, don't worry about it. Okay, no fear. That's an order. Okay. Read Psalm 40. I am with you. I will be with you. I will be your God. I will never leave or forsake you. Um, okay, we have an email from somebody who writes in anonymously and says, Dear Mother Miriam, good day to you. I need your advice and prayer. Please help me. For the last three years of my life, I have been living in sin. In 2019, I met my first boyfriend. I was 42 then when I met him. I was exposed to sinful acts. I thank God that we did not go all the way. The relationship did not last long. I was so devastated because I really love him, and I thought he was God sent. Prior to meeting this man, I prayed to God to give me a husband. At that time, I felt so lonely and envious of all people around me. They are all in happy relationships while I'm stuck in my, in my life and nothing changes. I feel like I was such a loser because at 42 years old, I haven't had a boyfriend. I am so conservative and I thought that God would help me find a husband. All my life, I tried to be a good Catholic and I prayed that I could be married to a good Catholic man. When the relationship was over, I hated God. Oh, this is horrible to, to, to even read. When the relationship was over, I hated God. I did not understand why he allowed me to meet this man if he would destroy me. Like I, Now, neither the man nor God destroyed you. If you're destroyed, it's what you did to yourself. She continues, Like I said, we nearly had intercourse and left, that left me exposed to carnal knowledge. Well, you, loved, you fell in love with the wrong man. He has no respect for you if you went that far. It should never have happened outside of marriage, not even as far as you went. Now I commit the sinful act each time I think of my ex. I go to confession each time I've committed that grave sin. I don't understand why God would give me sexual urges if I do not need it since I'm not married. God didn't give that to you. You sinned, and the devil gave 
to you. Had you not sinned, you would never have known that. Those urges are for marriage. Mother, why am I suffering while all my friends are happy? I'm not judging, but they do not live the life of faith. They sometimes mock me because I'm religious. I hated myself for being sinful and hypocritical. I asked God's help and guidance because I really, I'm really struggling and want to be the good Catholic woman that I used to be. I tried everything to strengthen my faith. Excuse me. I go to adoration, go to Mass every Sunday, and pray my rosary, but I'm still miserable. Please enlighten me and please help me. Thank you so much. Anonymous from London. Dear Anonymous from London, I don't know if you've ever truly known what it is to love God. Because if you did, you wouldn't even imagine hating him because you broke up with your, your boyfriend. You couldn't imagine hating God. Your love is passing. It's temporal. It's fictional. Um, um, you need to have a relationship with God if God will ever put together, you together with a man you have to learn to love him first. You haven't learned to love God. You have learned to love your desires and what you want out of life and to fantasize the man, fantasize the man God may send you and to be envious of every, your friends who are happy and all of that. Your focus is on circumstances and on your circumstances and you're never gonna be happy. Even if you meet the right man, you will never be happy because your happiness will be based on your relationship with him, which has to fail. Even if you stay married for 20 years, 50 years, you're two human, fallen human beings, and it's gonna fail. It doesn't mean it'll end the divorce. But what happens when he stops giving 100% and he gives just three? And now what do you do? Um, now you're living a marriage as if you're divorced. It's terrible. Your love, your life cannot be based on circumstances or you're having a husband. It has to first be based on your walk with God and serving him in this world that you may serve him in the next. Do all of that. Find a spiritual director. Read the scriptures. You go on Sundays. If you can go during the week to Mass as well, that's even better. Um, Read um, spiritual books, read good books, um, and, um, uh, and walk with God and say, Lord, I want you to, I, I don't know what to do with my life. I haven't done well so far. I want you to do what you will with my life. And whatever it is, Lord, you created me. Whatever it is, let me live for you and do what you will with myself. Okay, that's what you need, dear one. You need to walk with God and not base your happiness on a man or your friends or circumstances. Otherwise, a man or friends or circumstances will never make you happy. That's passing. We have an email from Maria who says, I'm a parent of teens and often wonder how come, often wonder how come so many parents let their children drink at such a young age, any insights? Yes, easy. Because they stop parenting. 
they stop parenting. There's an article in yesterday's paper about a 13-year-old who was stabbed to death by her boyfriend, who I don't think she was dating. They were just friends from school. And the article said she was stabbed to death at 1.45 a.m. as they were walking together through a park. She was stabbed to death by him. And I read that, and I said, what parent, what on earth, what parent would allow a 13-year-old to be out with a boyfriend or anyone else, friend-friend, at 1.45 a.m.? What kind of parent would do that? She's 13. She shouldn't be out after dark unless there's supervision and you know exactly who she's with. Parents have stopped parenting. They're afraid of their children. And so if you're a parent of teens and often wonder how come so many parents let their children drink at such a young age, you just tell your, your teens it's because they've stopped parenting. And you tell your teenagers that you, God will hold you accountable for their lives. And as long as they're under 18, they may not drink. End of story. Or 20, whatever the drinking age is in the state. They may not drink. You're not a parent who cares not if your children go to hell. You're not one of those. You care about your children. God has given you the stewardship to get them to heaven. And don't be afraid to say that to them. That if you let them drink, God will hold you accountable more than them because you have their stewardship. Don't ever give in to your children, parents. Don't ever give in to them. They won't love you more. They'll use you more. And you'll ruin their souls. We have an email from Saul who said, I met a Mormon man while I was at a summer camp that I attended when I was younger. He told me he was a Christian, but I always thought I heard that they are not. What are they? They are not Christians. Mormons are not Christians. And a Mormon baptism is not a valid baptism. Mormons do not believe in the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They do not believe that. They do not believe that Jesus is God the second person of the Blessed Trinity. They do not believe that. They believe that Jesus and Satan were brothers. Satan was cast to earth because of sin, and Jesus is the good one who came to earth to do good. No, they are not Christians. Many Mormons do not, they don't even know that. They don't even know what the Mormon church teaches. They don't even know that at the highest echelons they commit human sacrifice. It's utterly demonic. If you want information on this, go to catholic.com and go to the shop and type in on the search bar, Mormonism. And you will get books, um, one book by a, a, a Catholic, and I forget his name, it might be Isaac something, but he was a priest that was duped into becoming a Mormon and got right up into their high ranks and then came back to his senses and to God. In, into the church and wrote a book of the whole inside story. And there are other stories there of, of uh, Mormons who became Catholics and they can tell you what goes on there. I've met Mormons who have no clue they're not Christians. And we talk about Christ, they believe in the Trinity, they believe he's the Son of God, God the Son, all of that. And I say, well, you're not a good Mormon at all. You don't believe what Mormons believe and they're shocked about that. 
Okay. Um, we have an email from Hausner, um, which we will read when we come back from the break. There's the music for our final break, dear ones. We'll have 10 minutes when we come back, and you're welcome to call in again. The lines are still open with anything whatsoever on your heart. Toll free, one 511 5483 or email at mother at We'll be right back. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. Have you ever heard someone say, Why do Christians talk so much about God and so little about humanity? G.K. Chesterton says that the people who insist that we forget divine things and think of human things end up talking about how helpless human beings are because of their faulty environment or their fatal heredity or their uncontrollable animal instincts. And it all ends with the old fatalist cry that we must forgive everything because there's nothing to forgive. But these things are not the human things. These are the subhuman things, the, the things we share with animals. The human things are exactly what they dismiss as merely divine. The human things are free will, responsibility, authority, and self-denial. The things that are really human are also divine. Want more than a minute? Chesterton.org Hello, beloved. This is Mother Miriam, host of Mother Miriam Live. Like the Catholic Current and the many other programs that originate from the Station of the Cross, Divine Mercy in My Soul is all about the messages that Jesus revealed to St. Faustina. It is aired every Sunday morning at 11 Eastern and Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. Or you can listen anytime to Divine Mercy in My Soul on the iCatholic Radio mobile app. We the people are guaranteed five freedoms in the First Amendment. Freedom of speech. Freedom of religion. Freedom of the press. Freedom to peaceably assemble. Freedom to petition the government. Only the United States has these five freedoms so simply bound together and guaranteed. Think first. Learn more at thinkfirstamendment.org. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. This is our last segment, 10 minutes, and again, you're welcome to call in with anything on your heart, toll-free 1-877-511-5483, or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. We have um, an email from uh, Hausner, um, uh, which we, we announced but couldn't read before the break, and Hausner writes, I have always been against the death penalty. 
<clears throat> excuse me, and consider that a pro-life view. My friend said that the church is not against it and never has been. What is the correct teaching? It's hard for me to believe that in a world with excellent prisons, we cannot just lock up an evil person for life to keep the people safe and leave the judgment up to God. Um, it's a very reasonable question, Hausner. And I look to Catholic Answers for many of these answers. Because Catholic Answers, if you go to catholic.com and in their search bar type in death penalty, you're going to get a, a, a bunch of articles in, in years past up till today. Um, the most recent one um, that I have uh, is titled Life Imprisonment as a Hidden Death Penalty. And the question is, I understand opposition by some Catholics to the death penalty, but how can Pope Francis also condemn life imprisonment? So let me just read this. Um, um, I don't know if this is going to... Um, okay, let me, let me read this. Um, uh, in a statement to the International Association of Penal Law, Pope Francis said, it is impossible to imagine that states today cannot make use of another means than capital punishment to defend people's lives from an unjust aggressor. All Christians and people of goodwill are thus called today to struggle not only for abolition of the death penalty, whether it be legal or illegal, and in all its forms, but also to improve prison conditions out of respect for the human dignity of persons deprived of their liberty. And this I connect with life imprisonment. Life imprisonment is a hidden death penalty. That's from Pope Francis. Uh, he does not appear, the article says, to have elaborated on his view of life imprisonment since he connected it to capital punishment, though it is worth looking at what the catechism of the Catholic Church states in regard to capital punishment. So we can determine what he may have in mind by calling life imprisonment a hidden death penalty. The Church does teach, this is my comment, the death penalty. We need to understand it. The Catechism says, Punishment has the primary aim of redressing the disorder introduced by the offense. When it is willingly accepted by the guilty party, it assumes the value of expiation. Punishment, then, in addition to defending public order and protecting people's safety, has a medicinal purpose. As far as possible, it must contribute to the correction of the guilty party. Catechism 2266. Concerning capital punishment, the Catechism states in part, if, however, non-lethal means are sufficient to defend and protect people's safety from the aggressor, authority will limit itself to such means, as these are more in keeping with the concrete conditions of the common good and more in conformity to the dignity of the human person. As a consequence of the possibilities which the state has for effectively preventing crime by rendering one who has committed an offense incapable of doing harm without definitely taking away from him the possibility of redeeming himself, the cases in which the execution of the offender is an absolute necessity are very rare, if not practically 
non-existence, non-existent. So um, uh, they go on to say, in, in calling life imprisonment, to use Pope Francis's words, a hidden death penalty, Pope Francis appears to be concerned with the caveats the church places on the moral use of capital punishment and perhaps considers that life imprisonment, which removes a person from civilized society for the remainder of his life, should meet the same criteria. According to the Catechism, the punishment given an offender should meet the following criteria. It should redress the disorder introduced by the offense. It should offer the value of expiation. It must contribute to the correction of the offender. Authority should limit itself to means that are sufficient to protect others. The punishment should be in conformity to the dignity of the human person. And the state should not completely remove from the offender the possibility of redeeming himself. Um, In this statement, Pope Francis has given his opinion on an issue of Catholic moral law. He's the supreme teacher of Christian doctrine, but he does not appear to have invoked his authority as Pope in this matter. While individual Catholics could give a Pope's opinion on a moral issue close attention and be open to revising their own opinions in light of papal guidance, there is not a definitive binding of conscience on this issue. So, um, oh, I think we'd have to go to another article to fully, um, hold on just a moment. Now, let me just see. This is so important. Um, why the church allows the death penalty. Let me just, um, let me just see if this will help us even further. Um, okay. Um, The church considers the death penalty society's version of self-defense. Just as you have the right to defend yourself from a lethal attack, so too does society have the right to defend itself from murderous individuals. However, just because someone is guilty does not mean society is free to execute him. Capital punishment is moral in particular circumstances, not all circumstances. Society must be morally certain the individual is guilty of a grave crime and have no other legitimate means of protecting itself. Whether or not there are non-lethal means to protect society is a prudential judgment, and people of goodwill could have differing views. Thus, the death penalty, by its very nature, can never be always wrong in the same way that we could never say someone would never have to resort to killing in order to protect oneself or others. We can certainly debate appropriate circumstances to take such action and the means to prevent us from going that far, but it can never really be taken off the table since it is not intrinsically wrong. Okay, certainly God allowed the death penalty um, in the Old Covenant, uh, he did. Um, I was a jail chaplain in my Protestant years for 10 years. And I can tell you the harm that inmates did to other inmates. They murdered other inmates. They broke their eardrums with pencils. They did all kinds of things, even locked up. Unbelievable um, terrors they committed. Um, so I can't judge the laws of the church, dear one, but 
I trust the church to make God's judgments on these things, not to give its opinions. Um, Popes can give his opinion, but as long as the church allows the death penalty for proper circumstances, then we need to believe the church because it is Christ's church. Um, Okay, we had a call from Teresa in New York. Um, um, Okay, let me just read this quickly. Teresa's asking for prayers and hopefully volunteers to pray the rosary at Lemoyne College, which is hosting a drag show tomorrow on the Feast of the Annunciation in a hall named after one of the founding priests. What a what a travesty. We'll pray, Teresa. God bless all of you. Blessed feast of the Annunciation tomorrow. And we'll see you on Monday, God willing.